Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Pitt fans? Welcome back to another Pitt Mailbag here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and podcast network. He is Chris Carter. I am Noah Hiles. We are both fresh off of a return home from Durham. A wild trip down there, Chris, and an even more wild game we had the privilege of covering. Before we hop into questions or even do the ad read, just want to get your thoughts. I know we already talked about it in the post-game, but now that the dust has settled on uh, Pitt's big weekend in, in North Carolina. I, I think it was a, a really a really good moment for Pitt, not just to get the win, but for a lot of the young guys on the team to see what it takes to get a win. Sometimes it's about, you know, they say it, it helps seeing the ball go through the hoop. Sometimes it's also it helps seeing the triple zeros hit and you just came out on top of uh, what seemed like an insurmountable opponent. You know, Blake Henson comparing it to climbing Mount Everest after the game. That kind of stuff can help a young team grow up. And this is a team that needs uh, Jalen Lowe, Bub Carrington, uh, and even older players like Ishmael Leggett understand what it takes at this level because Ishmael Leggett's coming from Rhode Island. Um, you know, the, I, I think that wins like that can propel you, but they have to follow it up. We'll talk about some of the things that they have to do uh, that on the show. I completely agree. Uh, I think there was a lot of indi- individual wins that occurred over the weekend. I mean, moments like that, like Jalen Lowe is going to have confidence and every big shot he takes for the rest of his collegiate career because of the big shots he made at Cameron Indoor Stadium, Fetty Federico is going to have confidence on the defensive end be- because of what he did against Filipowski. I mean, th- like a lot of guys got got their swagger back, I think, on Saturday. So we're going to talk about that and more. But first, before we go any further, we got to talk about the show's presenting sponsor, which is Mike's Beer Bar. Whether if you're in town for a Steelers, Pirates, or Pit game, Mike's Beer Bar is right across the street from PNC Park and has the best selection of beer in town as well as amazing food options. They have over 20 TVs, and you can catch all of your NFL, college football, Pirates, Penguins, Riverhounds, and Premier League action right at Mike's. Come on in and try one of their 500 different available beers, 300 of them being local beers, as well as 80 different local craft beers available on tap. You can also get a flight and try out every option you can dream of, and trust me, You won't run out of favorites because I never do, and I'm always there. Try their steak on a stone for an awesome meal where you can choose how hot you'd like your steak cooked with a heated stone right in front of you as you enjoy a night out in Pittsburgh. Come on into Mike's Beer Bar and get your sports fix and experience the best bar in Pittsburgh. All right, so Carter, we got a lot of questions. Let's get right into it. This is probably something that popped on the minds of uh, every Pitt fan (laughs) After the win Saturday night, Hank wants to know what does Pitt have to do the rest of the way to make the tournament? 24 wins, 25 wins, or does it matter how more or does it matter more with how many quad one and quad two wins? 
I'll start off by saying this. If it wants to make the tournament, Pitt is going to have to be nearly perfect from here on out. Now, with that being said, the hardest games on their schedule are in the rearview mirror. They played Duke twice. They played North Carolina once. They played Clemson. They still got to go to Clemson. Um, Wake Forest should be a little bit of a challenge, but there are two juggernauts in this league, and both of them are past. So, and Pitt got a win against one of them. So, I I still think. I mean, if Pitt finishes this month winning its next three games, if it beats. Georgia Tech, Miami on the road, and then wins at home against Wake Forest. I haven't checked the net rankings this morning, but I believe that would be three quad one wins. Those would be huge. And if not, it's it's quad one and quad two. And that's, to answer your question, Hank, yes, Pitt needs to stack those up. I will say, you know, this, this league is better when, you know, it's viewed in a better light when Duke and North Carolina are firing on all cylinders, which they are. Um but this is still going to probably be a year where the ACC sends five teams to the league, to the tournament, just because after Duke and North Carolina, you're not seeing a lot of consistency. Um, Clemson was hot at the beginning of the year. Uh, Miami and Virginia had some hype coming into this season, but all of them have some ugly losses. None of them have amazing wins. So um, it's just the ACC is a, a league with, probably 10 teams really trying to still prove itself and pits on the lower end of that group of 10. So it's going to need to be nearly perfect in ACC play to put itself in a position like it was in last year, heading into the ACC tournament. So I think at best Pitt's going to be on the bubble of the bubble moving forward. Um, and I, I still don't think it's necessarily uh, a reasonable expectation for this to be a tournament team just because it won one big game in Durham. We've got to see it win and win a lot moving forward before we really even take that as a serious possibility. Carter, what say you? So they have 13 games left in the regular season. Mm -hmm. um, they are two and five in the conference, 11 and seven uh, in the uh, it, overall. I think it's tough to ask them to be perfect the rest of the way, but. I think if they can win nine of those games, so you're talking about nine wins, four losses, that would get them to 11. That's and not going to do it. 11 and, 11, 11 and nine will not get them anywhere close to the tournament in the ACC this year. 11 and nine in the conference, yeah. and then nine yeah. wins that give them the 20 wins. They would, they, they would then have to do some damage in the tournament, um, which, is where I was, which is where I was going there. Um, I think though that if they if if they do if they can do if they can get you know ten or eleven wins down, down the stretch that's what they're gonna have to do. But like you said, that's tough. They're, that means they're gonna have to be consistent, and it's tough for a young team to be consistent. It is a very uphill battle that they've set themselves up with. They needed to win at least one of the Syracuse games. I think that would have really helped them out. Um, you know here, uh, but at the same time. I do think that there there's a chance. I mean, right now, like in the Ken Palm, they are seventy, and in the net, they are they are sixty nine. And I think one thing that they're benefiting from is they don't have any quad four losses where they had a couple last year. Um, and they and like you said, they need to stack quad one wins. If they can stack quad one wins and they can get to 22, 23 wins this year with a better ACC, 
I think that can be what put what puts you in. I simply point to last year the NCAA tournament was taking crappy teams from the Big Twelve, and I mean teams that I were get getting that. smoked yeah. smoked out of the tournament, uh, teams that Pitt smoked out of the tournament, and I think that with the emergence of Duke and North Carolina, if Pitt it, like, like I said, it, it can't just be 500 in the ACC. They got to finish strong, and they need some tournament wins uh, in the ACC tournament. But I think if they get 22, 23 wins, they got, what, 24 last year? Yeah. I think that the ACC has stepped up enough that that could be the bar they need to make, make if they need if they want to go dancing. See, I, I don't know if the ACC is better or not. I think the two teams that everyone wants to see be better are better. Um, but I don't know. And again, there, there's a lot that can change. I mean, at this time last year, Duke wasn't that good of a team. And then Duke right. found its rhythm. And and who's to say that can't be a Wake Forest or a Clemson or a – I mean, but I, there's there's four ACC teams ranked inside the top 40 in Ken Palm. That, it's not, that's not really that strong of a league if you're going by that metric or or net. And, and I know everyone has their discrepancies with those rating systems and – we voiced that a ton last year. Uh, but just looking at the situation here, I think, you know, Pitt, if you compare it to last year, Pitt was a team that, like you said, Carter, I believe, what did it finish? 14 and six in ACC play last year. Something like uh, that, yeah. Yeah, and it had it had 22 wins at the end of the regular season, something along those lines, maybe 23. And that was a team that had better non-conference victories. It had worse losses too. And that's where I, I hear you. I like the team really doesn't have that terrible of a loss this year for Pitt. I would say maybe Missouri or and, it, and Syracuse could end up being a pretty good team. I mean, they they're playing really well right now. They, yeah. They, so if yeah. Syracuse is a tournament team, those losses don't look bad. I just don't know. It's going to come down to a Pitt having to win pretty much. I would say I don't know if they need to be perfect, but you said they have 13 games remaining. I don't think you can afford to lose more than two of them. Because I don't think you're going to have many more games against a ranked opponent. You're going to have some quad one games, uh, but a lot of those are going to be on the road. And uh, I just don't know how many how many more chances you're really going to have to make a statement. And if all of your good victories are only in conference play when you don't have a Northwestern win to add to your resume, like Pitt had last year, it's going to make it even harder. So it's 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 really going to depend a on Pitt dominating the ACC for the rest of the year. And Pitt's also going to need the rest of the ACC to be a lot better because if it's, if it's like what you said, if, if, if this league ends up putting seven teams in, you know, if, if Miami finds its footing and Virginia wakes up or Wake Forest continues going or Clemson, then yes, that Pitt could get by probably with all of its notable wins being in conference play. But right now, this league isn't anything close to what the Big Ten and the Big 12 were viewed as last year or what the Big East is being viewed as this year. It's just not. So it's it's going to be a tough road, I think, is the thing. Uh, it, it's tough road. And listen, like even, even the bar I'm saying, 10 of the next 13, I think that even that's 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 a lot to ask for. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's not it's like, oh, just win 10 of the next 13. I'm not yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that. Yeah. Um, but I but I do think if you do that and then you go into the tournament and you get yourself one or two more wins. Those are th- that that can make yeah. you a much because then again you're at 23 wins you had 24 last year and you know there's there wasn't a win on their on on their slate last year that was like that Duke win like like you know a, a Duke a, yeah a number on 17 the road, yeah. in the country yeah, yeah like that's that's uh I I think that that could be a resume builder and they have other opportunities to build the resume down the stretch but like I said 
it, it's it's just a long haul to ask all of that of a mm-hmm. team that's got two freshman guards and everyone's really excited about Jalen Lowe, but you know what? People were excited about Bub Carrington about a month ago. I, I think that both of those guys are going to fluctuate with when they play well and when they don't. And it's, it's not easy for a team to just balance that out every single week. We'll move on now. Cause he mentioned Jalen Lowe with the emergence of Jalen Lowe and, and Leggett seemingly healthier. Has there been any indication that we might see lineups with all three of the guards out there together? The third being Bub Carrington. Carter, I'll let you start with this one. So, like, they've they've deployed it, like, momentarily at times, but not consistently. And because they want to keep these guys fresh. They need they need someone to be able to come off the bench and let and let this team work. Now, when there's times, like, where you run into foul trouble like you did against Duke, granted, Bub Carrington was one of the people that was in foul trouble, uh, there's going to be times where they, where they bring that out and they try to use all three of those guys. But – I think that Jeff is going to try to keep a, a fresh set of legs all coming off the bench at the guard position with one of these three, particularly because um, you see the explosiveness from all three of them to create, you know, Ishmael Lega gave them some really important buckets uh, in, down, down the stretch that stopped some really important runs. And I detailed that in my, uh, my analysis piece and how like it just kept coming from different directions, and Leggett was one of those directions, and then Bub was one of the directions, and then Lowe was one of the directions. And you need those guys down the stretch to be have fresh legs and to not be tired out. So I, I think you're going to see it occasionally, but don't expect that to be a consistent lineup. This is still a team that you want Blake Hinson on the floor. Uh, I think you if Federico continues to play better, you want him on the floor. You want to use Zach Austin's athleticism because he, he provides a boost whenever he's – He's, he's playing well like that. Um, I, I think that it's something that you see occasionally, but not consistently. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually a fan of what they have going right now. I think that you keep Leggett off the bench and because he provides such a big jolt. Mm-hmm. And I think it's better long-term to keep Lowe and, uh, what's his name, Carrington playing together because, I mean, those are going to be your cornerstones yes. of your, your foundation of your program. And like I said, with the tournament being such a tall task to attain this year, you don't want to necessarily punt on this year, but you do need to think about what's best, what's the best value you can get out of the season. And if that's playing your two top freshman guards together, then you should be doing that. So I'm a fan of keeping those two in the starting lineup. And then whichever one looks worse early on, you bring Leggett in. During yeah. the first media break, he's the first sub off the bench. And like Carter talked about, like you can you can use a three-man rotation there. I, I think yep. their best five in all scenarios is Fetty at the five, Blake at the four, and those three guards out there because you can do a lot more. And it's probably the most similar five to what they had to work with last year in a starting lineup. Um, but you don't want to just make that your complete starting five. I, I think there is a lot of value in having Zach Austin out there while he is inconsistent. He, when he's on, I mean, he can be a real difference maker on both sides of the floor. Um, so yeah, I like Leggett coming off the bench at the first media break and you just kind of ride the hotter of the two freshmen and Lowe's had the hot hand now. So you would take out Carrington, but you just keep that three man rotation in there. Cause when you don't have any backups behind them, I mean, those are your three guards you're playing pretty much for the rest of the year. So if you're starting all three, then none really have any one to relieve them if they get in foul trouble or whatever. You're now you're switching your whole out exactly, and you don't want to do that. So Zach wants to know. All right, we're gonna switch it over to football now. 
uh, something I'm sure Chris Carter is more than okay with, you know, football guy through and through. Zach wants to know, how much knowledge does a coaching staff have about a player coming from the transfer portal that hasn't seen a ton of playing time at their old school? Example, Derek Davis didn't get a lot of playing time at LSU, didn't argue, call Brian Kelly and ask why he was transferring and ask about character and skill. You want to start with this, Chris? Sure. Um, a, a lot of this isn't about seeing any film on these guys at college. It's about the prior connections that you have. Listen, when, when these assistant coaches and head coaches, when they're on on these recruiting paths as they are right now, um, they're blazing trails, man. They're talking to so many kids, kids that, you know, like when, when you hear about it on, on, you know, from us or from rivals or whoever about who's, who's being talked to, like, that's also just what we're hearing. There, there's, there's a lot of relationships that get established and, you know, that, that sit there and there's players that coaches know, like, you know what, they're already committed or I'm not able to get him this time around, but I'm going to keep that one in my back pocket and, 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 and wait and just and see, you know, a perfect example, I think was Donovan McMillan, someone that Pitt was very interested in the first time around yeah. anybody. He went to Florida, big sec program. And then as soon as he hit the portal, boop, boop, got a phone call and it was, it was, it was good to go. Um, and I think that that was that that's 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 what you have to do is you have to be ready to pounce when the opportunity strikes there. And so it's less about you know like Derek Davis, another guy that I'm pretty sure they had on their radar when yeah. he, when he first went uh, went out. So it's less about any tape or anything like that. I'm sure head coaches have conversations with each other. There's you know there's coaching conventions. There's 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 there's, there's you know ways to get that kind of information about how a player was in a different location, um, but. The primary thing is, what's your relationship with that player? What did you establish them the first, when they were coming out of high school, and then you know keeping up with them, and you know once you reestablish that contact, where does that conversation go from there? That's what uh that that I think that's the key in those situations, right? And, and like relationships, like you said, Chris. I mean, that's a huge part of it. You talk about relationships with the individual, and maybe they recruited them, but like a lot of these coaches have been recruiting at the same high schools for a long time. Yes. They know their high school coaches. They know the guys who host the, the regional camps that everyone's going to, whose opinion they trust, and even writers to a certain extent. Yep. There, there are plenty of people in our industry who a coach will reach out to and just say, what's your opinion on this guy? You covered him in high school. Um, but, I mean, you look, I mean, just even in this transfer class, like David Ojigby was a guy that Pitt was interested in. Charlie Partridge had, had a good relationship with. He went to Clemson, didn't work out. He remembered Charlie Partridge. And boy, did Charlie Partridge remember him. So relationships are part of it. And another part of it is, I mean, they're not going in blind on the skill aspect of it either. These kids, they have their high school film that is still there that you can at least get a decent idea of what they're capable of, especially guys like Holstein and, and uh, other kids who are just a year or two out of high school. I mean, you could still get a good idea of what skills they possess. And you'd have to assume that they're better players having been at the collegiate level for a year or two. And also there's practice film. A lot of these guys that go into the portal, they some of their highlights, I mean, most of the people in the transfer portal aren't starters. They're not, you know, big time players. I mean, we recognize those names when they go into the portal because we're like, wow, that's going to be weird seeing him go somewhere else. But right. a large bark, bulk of the portal are guys who were not playing a lot. Guys who are, you know, looking to maybe go down a, either a level or even leave power five to go to a group of five school or leave a Alabama to go to a pit or something along those lines. So, you know, if you're not playing at those schools, you still have practice film. 
you still have a lot of things that can show your worth. And, you know, I, I think maybe in 1970 when a guy's, you know, trying to transfer, it was a lot more difficult. But in today's age, everything you do is filmed. It's documented. We know how fast these dudes run at practice. We know how much weight they've gained on a week-to-week basis. Yeah. All the information you need on any player is out there. So it's still a gamble, no doubt. But I think technology has made this whole transfer process a lot easier to evaluate. It's still not very easy at all, but it's it's far from a, a shot in the dark like it was pre-internet, I guess. Corey wants to know, in addition to wide receiver coaching, what is Taekwon Underwood's role as the passing game coordinator? Does he have any control over personnel formations and pass concepts? Carter? Um, uh, you know, Taekwon has a lot of, has a lot of say as far as what, uh, you know, what things pits receivers like to do, what things, what ways they should attack through the air. Um, that's part of what a receivers coach does in the first place is saying, Hey, these are what these guys are good at. Let's work these route concepts. Let's work these combinations into things. But as a pass game coordinator, Taekwon's increased role kind of gives him a little bit more say in, in the room as far as what, uh, what things that they're what they're putting together? He's I think he's have more heavily involved in that in the construction of the playbook. Now calling the plays that's still that's still the OC. But I'm going to be very intrigued to see how the that role is impacted with Kate with Cade Bell. You know how much liberty does Tyquan Underwood get to, to to say with those things? You know I, I foresee a lot of structural differences in, in Cade Bell's offense versus Frank Signetti's offense, and that's going to force. Uh, Taekwon Underwood to kind of go over and say, okay, well, let's adapt with these types of things. If we're going to get, you know, so, you know, if we're going to get the same Kate Mumfield in the slot more, you know, what if we give him these routes to win in those situations? Um, but certainly his role is still pretty, pretty important um, to the formation of the offense. He won't have a say in calling the offense, but he best believe him and Kate Bell are probably going to be lock and step in developing the past concepts that this team is going to depend upon next year. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard to say exactly what his role will look like because we have never even spoken with Cade Bell yet. So, you know, we can't, we can't really speculate too much on that, but you would assume he's going to be more than a wide receiver coach because he's the only guy from that offensive staff that was retained. You know, I mean, when they're, when they're looking for a whole new offensive staff, Underwood provides more value than just, teaching guys what routes to run. And I think that you're going to see him have, uh, I think, a pretty involved voice in everything that Corey listed here as far as personnel, formations, pass concepts. And an offense like Bell's, I think it's beneficial to have more than one mind in the mix here. And so that's that's probably how I would define it. it it's hard, like I said, we don't know exactly and even if we asked them, I don't know if we'd get the most honest of answers. We could do a little digging, but the offense is going to be Cade Bell's baby. But in an offense like this, where skill players are essential, uh, you want the guy who coaches the most skill players to have a say. So, final question of the day comes from Eileen, uh, a fan favorite of the show, or, uh, show favorite. She's always asking great questions, always interacting with us on social media, which we appreciate. Eileen wants to know a tight end from Miami announced that he was granted a ninth year of eligibility. Which athlete at Pitt would you have been happy to have around for nine years in terms of being Pitt writers? I'll start with this. Um, There's one answer. Well, actually, 
I didn't cover this guy, but I think the easiest answer is Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Uh, I oh, think every yeah. I think every Pitt fan would have liked for him to keep, you know, well he would have had he played there for what four years, three years. I don't know, just double it. You know, if they could have had Kenny on the 2022 team, it would have been pretty good. You know, 2023 wouldn't have been so bad either. And 2024, you're looking in. I mean, you'd have to imagine the the NIL money would start piling up at some point. Um, So, yeah, I think Kenny would be one as far as writers just because, you know, it's not as fun to follow a team or cover a team that has bad quarterback play because it's tough to write about and it's it's tough to ask those questions. So just having a stable quarterback for nine years would be enjoyable, but – yeah, that's that's the answer I'll give Carter. I know who you're probably going to say, so go ahead and say it. It's the person who you really wanted to say. You just yeah. wanted to be different. You wanted mm-hmm. to give that that extra vote. It's Blake Hinson, man. Yeah. And, and and listen, this and, and listen. I covered Kenny Pickett while he was at Pitt. Kenny Pickett was fantastic to cover, but and Kenny Pickett was always here. He 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 was never too high. He was never too low, and he was always. But and he was never trying to be quotable. He was trying to get through his questions, and that was it. And what what he really wanted to say, he'd say to his team. And that's why Pitt yeah. fans would want him. We love Blake Henson as writers. That dude just he if there was a gold mine of, of quotes, he'd be he'd be the one shoveling it out because he is just every time every time, win or lose, there are things that he says that he does that are just I think spectacular to cover. They provide so much great color commentary uh, for us to work with. I mean, the the Mount Everest quote that he gave, yeah, uh, you know, after the after the Duke game, that's front pages of sports uh, I mean Monday morning you know so it's like that's it's that kind of stuff and also like even not even those moments in small moves and practices the things that he says the things that he does like you like you don't get that kind of energy from from everybody and he finds a way to open open up about things but not open up about everything and that's I think he's he's a fascinating character who's also who's also a fascinating player that's part that's part of pit basketball and I'm not sure if there's been anybody like that on either pit football or basketball who has been this bombastic with statements and with play um and you know but then also this reserve like he doesn't go go in about certain things you can't get him to open up about too much about scheme or anything else or when you ask about his shooting he'll just be like i'm always hot you know but when he talks about his teammates when he when it's time to talk about his belief in his guys that's that dude is a gold to talk to, and Noah, you've had several amazing moments with Blake Hinson over the past. Yeah, few years. I mean, I I have a pretty good connection with Blake. Uh, he's yeah. he's a lot of fun to cover, and there are athletes where you have to work hard to build that relationship with. And I I had to work with that with Blake because he wasn't fun to talk to at all in his first couple of months here at Pitt. I mean, he was pretty standoffish really early on. And he kind of opened up as the year went on and he kind of realized that, you know, cause I think he had some harsh criticism written about him at his previous stops in his collegiate mm-hmm. career. And, and not, and, but on that note, I was going to say, while a lot of us have good relationships, professional relationships with Blake, where we can, we can ask about his interests outside of basketball, be it, you know, the female rapper that he always is posting about and how he's a huge fan of her or, his beloved Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We could ask him about those things, but you can also be very critical of Blake. And he's a guy who handles criticism, I think, pretty well. Um, 
you know, if, if a question's too far, I think he will push back and yeah. I'm more than okay with an athlete doing that. But there are some guys where it's like, and, and I've never allowed it to prevent me from being critical. Like there's just been times where it's like, all right, well, I had a good relationship with this guy, but I'm going to have to write that he's been playing poorly. And that's probably going to result in me not getting any good quotes from him in the near future. But that's just the way it goes in this industry. But with Blake, I really think, I, I mean, I point out when he's not shooting well and he's been bad for most of the games this year. Uh, and when I say this year, I mean, 2024. Um, but he, owns it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much of what we write or say he consumes, but he knows that stuff's out there and he knows if he goes looking for it, he'll see it. But I think the key for a lot of good relationships with college athletes comes with just media experience. And Blake's a guy who's comfortable talking with us. So it's nice having a guy who has that experience and that comfort and understands what we try to do. We understand what he's trying to do and that we don't have to agree on everything, but you can show us a little bit more than you as a basketball player and it will go a long way. It'll make the fans like you a little bit more and it'll make life a little bit easier every time you're at that podium. So that's a good answer on your end Carter. And I would agree. Although nine years, nine years of Blake, that's, that's a lot of transcribing. So we'll see. I don't know about nine, maybe eight. Um, Carter, any final thoughts here before we wrap it up? Uh, just that my buddy's about to get back to road tripping here while I'm going to be staying here in Pittsburgh, yeah. Atlanta, then Miami in just a few days. It, but it, this will be a big chance for Pitt to make a statement that that wasn't a fluke on on Saturday, that they that the Panthers can be more consistent. Um, and I think what's going to be very intriguing is with with older teams, it's tough because you often just are who you are. But when you have younger teams and they find a new high to hit, sometimes that new high to hit become is what you work to to be more consistent with and this is a young team that i think has a much higher ceiling than what we were seeing leading up to the duke game if that is something that they can hit in these next few games i think that you know i'm not saying that they play exactly like they did against duke and like blake hit seven three pointers or something like that but if they can bring the energy that they did and they find a win these next two games then we're talking about okay what does this team have to do to be a real con- real contender down the stretch this year? Yeah, I, I mean, just looking at, I mean, they have, I believe, yeah, Wake would be a quad one. Um, Miami, I think, yeah, they, I think they have three quad one opportunities in the next 10 days or so. So a lot can change, and a lot needs to happen for that to change, but it's going to be a very interesting final stretch. And as we've said all year, January was the mountain and it doesn't, it's not like it's going to be a cakewalk in February, but if this team can win four more or three more in a row, if it can end January on a four game win streak with wins with three of those being road wins and a home win over Wake Forest, who looks to be the third best team in the league right now. um, That's a lot of momentum going into a, a part of their schedule. That's a lot easier. So who knows? Who knows? It'll be fun. We'll be there to cover it on the road here at the Peterson Event Center. Uh, we'll be there. So keep tuning into our coverage and keep tuning in to the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and podcast network. He's Chris Carter. I'm Noah Hiles. We'll see you next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.